Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Would you take a, a Bible and turn back there to Psalm 119 with me? I want to say a quick but sincere thank you to our, our world mission team for organizing a great missions week. Thank you to Adam and to Art and Brent and Colleen and to all of last Sunday morning seminar presenters um, who shared so well how God is working in our world. Uh, we really, on behalf of the church, let me say, World Mission Team, we appreciate your efforts. Uh, I have mentioned before how I tend to be something of a news junkie, um, especially news about ethics and economics and politics. And, and that could be dangerous because the news can get you down, uh, especially in these days when it seems like more and more our society is standing for things with which Jesus does not agree. Between the news of the day and uh, all the rhetoric surrounding the elections that are coming up, the, the phrase at odds has come to mind quite a lot recently. I had a, uh, an aunt that used to say that, uh, and I think it's all coming back to me as I look on our uh, culture and on the church's relationship with our culture. Uh, in an increasing number of ways these days, it seems, Jesus' people and the world seem to be at odds with each other. So I almost titled these next few messages at odds. <laughs> um, but, but I'll tell you, I, I thought better. Because that's not exactly true. Uh, to be at odds with someone usually means you're fighting with them in some way, either passively or, or actively. But, but the church, the church is not fighting with our culture, you see. Uh, Jesus is not fighting with our culture. Uh, we, the church, the body of Christ, along with Jesus, the head of the body, we are together working to try to redeem our culture, our people, our society. So, so we are not really at odds with our society. We are at odds. We are fighting against the spirit who has deceived our society and who has taken our neighbors captive in lots of ways. Uh, to say it a different way, we are at odds, the church of Jesus Christ is at odds with the devil, not with our neighbors. We're not at odds with them. We're at odds with the devil. And we, along with Jesus, are fighting against him for the sake of their souls. It's an important distinction to keep in mind because sometimes we can get it reversed. Uh, our neighbors are not our enemies. Those people around us who do not share our convictions, even those who think we are just totally loony for following Jesus, they're not our enemies. They are the victims of the deceptions of the devil. And whether or not they realize it, whether or not they will ever receive it, they need our positive, winsome witness in their lives. For the sake of Jesus. They need to know, not that we are against them, but we are actually for them. 
We are for them. They need to know that Jesus is for them. That Jesus and his church are for their success. And he is for their peace. And we are for their redemption and their healing and their transformation. And they need to know where they can find all of those good things, you see. Our neighbors need to see not so much of what we're against, but what Jesus' people are for. I I can't help but think of our own denominations, holiness movement heritage, and how in my grandparents' day and bleeding well over into my parents' day, churches like ours were far more known for what they were against than for what they were for. They were known for what they didn't do far more than for what they did do. And often that was where it was left. You know, we don't do this and we don't do that. But there was never any positive reason given for why. For what was actually good or redemptive or healing about not doing, you know, this or that. And so you see, if you neglect to address the benefits... If if what we're for is never mentioned, then all that's left is this list of rules that make very little sense to the unredeemed world. So, what are followers of Jesus for? What is important to us? What is valuable to us? What do we have that is positive and hopeful and helpful to offer to our neighbors and to our broader our broader culture. That's what I want to study in these next few weeks. Uh, And we're starting with, as you might have guessed from the title on the worship folder there, the idea of truth. Followers of Jesus embrace the fact that there is, there does exist truth. And let me qualify that. We're not talking about some weak need relativistic truth either. We're not talking about my truth, your truth, their truth, today's truth. We're talking about just plain truth, unqualified, objective, immovable, enduring truth. Some might call it absolute, absolute truth. This is what the writer was talking about and even celebrating In Psalm 119, and not just in these few verses that that Gay read, but the whole psalm, the whole thing actually is a celebration of the existence of objective, absolute truth. Now, let me mention just a couple things about this psalm that you may or may not know, but uh, will help you impress your relatives at Thanksgiving dinner this year, okay? (laughs) This is not just the longest psalm. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it is just one chapter off from being the perfect physical center of the Bible. That honor goes to Psalm 118. Uh, Steve Lennox writes, he says, This chapter is truly monumental, not only in length, but in artistic skill and in breadth, with which it develops its theme, the truth found in God's law. 
And that really is no exaggeration. Psalm 119 is made up of 22 stanzas. If you have your Bible open, you can see that. 22 stanzas, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's what those words are that are written in between the stanzas. At least my, my NIV has them in there. Maybe yours does too. They're the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet. It goes on through the 22 letters. So each of those 22 stanzas is eight lines long. And what you really can't easily tell from our English translations is that each of those eight lines begins with the same Hebrew letter that heads the stanza. Each of the eight lines of the first stanza start with letter Aleph. And and it goes on like that all the way through the chapter. So it really, you think about somebody putting that together. It really is a remarkable stylistic work that has been put together to celebrate the truth of God's law. And it does that in two main ways. First, uh, this, this, this chapter, 119, uh, it does it as something of a sequel to Psalm 1, where it talks about how important it is to study and know the law. The writer talks a lot about that. You need to study it. You need to know it. And second, as a sort of sequel to the 19th Psalm, It speaks of the law's immeasurable value in making our lives better. Now, personally, I don't know anyone who would be against making their life better. And you see, followers of God and and we, followers of Jesus, we are for that. (laughs) We are for making our lives and the lives of others truly better. That's why the law, the psalmist says, is so valuable. That's why it's worth studying. Because knowing and following the law makes life better. (laughs) Imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that raises two questions. Uh, First, what exactly is the law that the psalmist is talking about? And second, how does it make our lives better? Okay, what the law is, what the psalmist understood to be the law, is, is the clear, blessed revelation of the will of God given through the prophets. That is the law to the psalmist. And though the law is not necessarily a perfect synonym for what we know as the Bible today, much of what this psalm says is true For the whole of the Bible, since the Bible itself reveals God and his will to us. And along those lines, the the New Testament then surpasses the Old because it's the New Testament that records the most complete revelation of God and his will that we have. And that is in the life and the words of Jesus, God's son. So the law to the psalmist is God the creator, the creator of our world, letting us know who he is and what he thinks and how this world that he made actually works. That is what the psalmist understood to be law. So then, if that's what the law is, the answer to the second question, the question about how law can make our lives better, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? To the psalmist, having the law 
is like suddenly finding out that you have the owner's manual. You have the user's guide to life itself, to the world, to creation, to how everything works, written by the one who made it in the first place. It's a lot like going through life having glasses, but never being told how to wear them. So, so you wear them backward, like this, you know? You can see, if you have glasses, you know what I mean? You can see, kind of, but everything looks a little wonky. And, and they don't stay on your head, you know? They don't, they don't stay on your head. So you have to get duct tape. <laughs> and I'm not going to do this. <laughs> but you have, to, you have to duct tape them to your head or something like that. So they, so they stay up there, you know? And, and it all kind of works, but it doesn't work very well. Uh, and and it, it's very awkward and it's very uncomfortable. And, and, and for months or even years, you go through life like this. And then you meet the one who invented glasses, you know? And you walk up to her and she laughs at you. <laughs> and she looks at you and says, no, no, you don't wear them like, you, you turn them around and you put them on like, oh, and you do. And it's a revelation. And suddenly everything is clear and everything is comfortable and you don't need the tape. And it doesn't hurt when you take them off at night. <laughs> you know, you, you know how it's supposed to work. How it was made to work. And so now you, you use it the way it was intended. That's what the law is to the psalmist. It's like having a phone like this. But not realizing there's a volume control on it. So for years, you hear these faint buzzing sounds. And, and you know, tiny voices. And, and rings and dings and buzz, even music you hear. But you, you, you could barely hear them. So, so you have to hold it like this. And you have to be in a totally silent room so that you can hear what it's doing. So it works, but it, it, it doesn't work very well. And it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and it's very limiting. And then suddenly you find, oh, look at this. It came with directions. And you read that there's this volume button on it right here. And lo and behold, now you can hear it. That's the significance to the psalmist on a much greater level of truth, of the law, of the revealed will of God. It's remarkable. There's an account in 2 Kings, some of you are thinking of this, that reports how uh, during the re renovation of the temple, in 622 B.C., uh, the high priest Hilkiah discovered the scroll. And he, he showed it to the king's scribe, and the king's scribe took it to the king, Josiah, was, was the king. And the prophet Huldah looked at it and pronounced it genuine. Most people today believe it was at least part of the book of Deuteronomy. They'd never seen it before. And after reading it to him, the king suddenly realizes what it was, and more, he realized, oh, this is why my people are having such a hard time. 
the people of Judah. For the first 18 years of Josiah's rule, and for a long time before that, the people of Judah had suffered and had been subject to all sorts of calamities. But now, Josiah sees why. He reads the law and says, well, they they weren't being obedient to God. (laughs) They didn't know about this. They didn't know how God made life to work. So uh, Josiah observes a period of grief. He puts dust on his head. He tears his clothes, you know, and all that. And then he declares that from now on, he and his people were going to live like God said to live. And so he implemented these sweeping reforms in Judah's religious and political and economic life, all according to what the book said. And things began to turn around. Josiah found the owner's manual. It wasn't just a book of rules to him. It was the revelation of God, God's character, God's way, God's economy, God's design for creation. And right there, right there is the message of the church to our world. You see, do you want life to work? Do you want to find success? Do you want to experience peace? If so... You have to get to know who God is. And you have to know his way. And you have to know the way he made the world to work. If we don't know that, we're just, we're just feeling our way through life. We're just blindly guessing or we're following the crowd. But if we do know God, and if we do know the way he made the world to work, then we have the power to change our future. And that is the power of truth. That's the power of truth. That's why Christ followers are for truth. We are for both the concept of truth and the reality of truth. And again, not a truth or your truth or my truth or or their truth. You see, truth by definition can't be subjective like that. Christ followers are for objective truth. Absolute truth. We're for the truth. It exists. And is found in the person of God, in his revelation of himself to the world. First through his law that the psalmist celebrates here. And then ultimately through the words and life of Jesus, his son. In a world that is filled with relativity and subjectivity. And the confusion and the wandering that results from relativity and subjectivity. Christ's followers are for the truth that can be found and known. And where it is embraced and where it's followed, it will be utterly transformative to human lives and families. And even to whole cultures. That is the tremendous power and blessing of truth. That's why the psalmist here all through Psalm 19. He goes on and on about it. So he says in in verse 160, God, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Psalm 160, or uh, verse 162, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. You see? The manual. He writes in verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. 166, I wait for your salvation, Lord. I follow your commands. I obey your statutes for I love them greatly. He's met the maker. 
He's found the manual, the key to life, and he knows it. He realizes it. And that's why centuries later, Jesus came along and declared in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the what? Truth. And what happens? The truth sets you free. Notice that Jesus didn't say, then you will know a truth, or then you will know my truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth. And when we realize and receive the truth, it sets us free. So there's no more bondage to not knowing, you see. And there's no more tripping over things in the darkness. No more blind wandering, you know, feeling our way. No more trial and error. No more Just out-of-the-blue guesses. No more skewed vision. No more partial vision. No more looking through glasses backward. And, And hey, no more painful ripping off of the duct tape. You see? The things we do to try in our own wisdom to make life work... We don't have to do that anymore. No more self-inflicted wounds. There's enough in this broken world that causes hurt in our lives. We don't need to hurt ourselves even more by stumbling around in darkness when we don't have to. The psalmist celebrates that fact. We don't have to do that anymore. I don't think there's any way that it's a coincidence that this is the longest chapter of the Bible. And it's the most artful, and it's the most thoughtful, and it's the most skillful. Because it's written in celebration of truth, truth of God. Uh, That's why Christians are for the fact of truth, the existence of truth. We're for the blessing of knowing how God made things to work because it sets us free. Now, a lot of our world today pushes back against that. In fact, against any hint of objective truth. But what are they getting from it? Just like the psalmist writes there in 155, because they don't seek God's decrees, salvation is far from them. So in the eternal sense, you've got that. But in the meantime, they hurt themselves and others over and over and over again. They're deceived into thinking that there's no way and that there's no truth So they don't have that life that God intends them to have. But, you know, like the psalmist found here, like King Josiah found, there is truth. The truth of God, the truth of his way, if we'll embrace it, if we'll embrace him, we will find life and our world will be transformed. Followers of Jesus are for truth, the truth. Absolute truth, God's revelation of himself and his world through his word. Can we make people receive it? No, we can't make people receive it. All we can do is offer it. But we do offer it with no shame and in the urgent hope that others will discover and embrace it for themselves, for the sake of their own salvation. For the sake of their own peace with God. Verse 165 there, the psalmist says, Great peace have those who love your law 
and nothing can make them stumble. That's the blessing of knowing the truth, you see. And we want the whole world to know that. We want the whole world to find both the written word of God and also the living word of God, Jesus Christ, his perfect revelation of himself. He is the living, breathing, owner's manual of life. Jesus is. He called himself the way and the life and the truth for a reason. So do you know him today? Do you know Jesus? Have you received him? Have you read him? Have you embraced him? Do you have his spirit with you to guide you day by day into his truth? If you do, celebrate. Celebrate with the psalmist. If you don't, you can't. Receive Jesus today. He is for you. He is for us. And that's why we're for him. Lord, if there is even one here today who is still stumbling in the dark and still hurting himself or herself, if there's one here today who is still wearing the glasses backward, searching for real truth, will you speak to that heart strongly right now about all that you have to reveal and all the good that you want to bring? If only they would embrace truth, the truth of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, for the living word, and for the fact that we have and we can know them both. In Jesus' name, amen.